All right. Who's ready? You ready? Come on. By clapping, that means you're ready. Either that or it just means that you wanted to clap. I don't know what that means for you. But I'm ready. I hope that you are ready. Um, while I speak, I'm going to have somebody change some light bulbs right behind me. So that's the reason why the ladder's here, if that's cool with you. Totally kidding, okay? That's not going to happen. Well, if, uh, if you are new to DBC or if you are not new to DBC, um, I do want to welcome you. My name is Chad. I am the lead pastor here. This is week one of a series through the book of Joshua. Um, in, we're going to be in Joshua 1 today. As a matter of fact, we're just going to cover um, verses 1 through 6. We're going to be here for a while. But um, this, this whole series is built around this idea that each of us has a conquest. We all have something that we want to do. There's, there's a path that we want to pursue. There's a promise that we want to claim. There's a purpose that we want to fulfill. Each and every one of us has a conquest. We have something that, that it is that, that we want to do. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there's something that you want to do and a promise that you want to claim or the person that you want to pursue. And that's what this whole series is about. Now, if you're, you've kind of checked out of church and yet you've checked back in today or if you're kind of new to even Christianity, um, maybe you don't know much about Joshua because Joshua kind of has middle child syndrome. You all, you all know what middle child syndrome is? Raise your hand if you're a middle child. Are you a middle child? I am too. Raise your hand. Up, up. There you go. You should feel for us right now because the middle child is always the forgotten child, right? Middle, ch- middle children, is that right? We're always, we're always forgotten. It's like the, the oldest child is the one who's like kind of pushy, kind of bossy, kind of gets their own way, kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes, kind of pushy and kind of bossy. And then the youngest one, well, that's the baby, right? Everything, the baby gets what everything, it gets everything. Parenting is out the door. That's just the way it goes. It's like everything that they learn from those parenting books, however many years later to the baby, it's like, who cares? Baby's going to be fine. Eat some dirt. You'll be fine. Cure strep throat, I'm pretty sure. You're going to be great. It's all right. But the middle child is the one that everybody forgets. The middle child is the one that, that, that people, it just it seems like even in the course of a home, unless they draw attention to themselves, there's just not a whole lot of attention that's brought onto them. And that's kind of what Joshua's story is. Joshua is, is the, the successor, the, the leader who follows another great leader by the name of Moses. And people who aren't even Christians, they know the name Moses. He, he's actually identified with, uh, with most world religions. And Moses was, was a reluctant leader, but he was a great leader in his time. And so Joshua follows after a great leader. And a lot of times, great leaders, they cast such a long shadow, even after they're gone, that that other leader is just kind of like overlooked, kind of like us middle children. At Joshua, at Joshua, and that's the reason why we're even doing this whole series, a Joshua is a person with uncommon faith. A Joshua is a person with uncommon strength. A Joshua is a person with uncommon courage. A Joshua is a leader that is so uncommon in their leadership that other people look at them and they just are drawn to them like a magnet. They're just drawn to that leadership because there's something uncommon about their leadership. And a Joshua 
is the person who leaves a legacy that when somebody is reading their, their eulogy, that somebody is saying their final words about the person, they just say, wow, that person just served the Lord. It seemed like no matter what happened, they just served the Lord. They were just in the trenches. And there was something uncommon about them. Another reason why we're doing this is because ultimately uh, this, this whole, uh, the trek that spans about 30 years, the storyline of Joshua, it, it spans about 30 years of victory. But it's conditional victory. And it's just victory after victory after victory. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are victory people. You and I are victory people. This is what a guy by the name of Paul wrote in Romans 8, 37. He says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming. That, that means that you're not just like limping into it like, oh, I'm just dragging my leg. Well, I, hit, I finally hit the finish line. Overwhelming victory. My hope is that through this series that you would be overwhelmed with the realization that we Christians are victory people. We can say amen to that. Anyone? We're victory people. That overwhelming victory is ours. Every follower of Jesus has a conquest. Every one of us. A person to become. Maybe the better you is how you call it. A path to pursue. A purpose to fulfill or a promise to claim. We're all in this together. And this this idea, if you would, about conquest and about capturing, you're going to see the promised land. When you think of and you hear the words promised land from Joshua, for us as Christians, we, we can replace those words with abundant life. That we have victory. We're not, we're not gaining a promised land, but we're gaining abundant life. That was one of the promises that Jesus gave us. Now, the challenge is this. You have a great enemy, and your enemy is not more powerful than the person giving you victory, but you have a powerful enemy, and your enemy will throw things at you to keep you away from living the Christian victorious life. And one of the things, one of the, one of the baits that he uses is autonomy. I was at the barbershop. I was getting all of my hair cut this week at the barbershop. And I'm sitting at the barbershop that always cuts my hair, and there's a bunch of magazines. It's barbershop, so it's kind of like Dudeville. There's a bunch of dudes' magazines. So I'm flipping through, and there's, there's this fishing magazine, Georgia Fisherman something, 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 right? So I'm, like, flipping through this, this magazine trying to kill time, and as I'm flipping through it, I'm not much of a fisherman or a fisherman at all is what I should say. So I'm flipping through the magazine. It seems like there was just pictures of lure after lure after lure after lure after lure, each one claiming to be able to do something incredible. Well, I, I got into this, this article, and it was, it was really weird. Here, here's something I found out about people in middle Georgia. I'm not from here. I think this is kind of weird. Because in this article, it was about a fish by the name of crappie. But in middle Georgia, they don't call it crappie. They call it crappy, which I think is really, really odd, okay? Does anyone call it crappy? Anyone other than, there's, there's a couple of us, uh, some, some, a couple, probably people from the north. What about crappy? Like, you heard it your whole life. Wow. Like, 
In this article of crappie, because I don't want to say the other word too many times, I might slip or something, but in, in this article, it had like the perfect way, uh, the perfect lure for like dropping uh, the lure over the top of like this rock cliff, underwater rock cliff thing, and, and it would like wiggle the lure, would wiggle a certain way, and the crappie would just could not exist, you know, could not resist it. And it seemed, and it was the answer, it was the perfect lure. Autonomy is the perfect lure that Satan uses to keep us off the path of abundant life. It's the perfect lure because autonomy makes a bunch of promises that it can't keep. Autonomy says this, autonomy. And by autonomy, that word also means independent. You see, there's this promise of independence in our, in our country right now, even today. This, this independence, like, you, we're told this even as, as young kids, like, we can do everything, we can be everything, and, and kind of what the, the, the mental process that develops from that is that everybody exists to make you happy, that everybody exists to make your platform rise. You see, autonomy has breadcrumbs, and some of those breadcrumbs from autonomy is pride. And the pride breadcrumb is, is really interesting because pride makes you think the higher that I climb up, the higher that I get, the less people I have speaking into my life and the more I puff myself up. As a matter of fact, this is actually one of the, the, the lures that's used in Genesis 3. When, when Satan lured through the serpent, lured Adam and Eve, is that they would be like God, that they would know the difference between good and evil. That was an attack on their pride, like saying, you can be gods. And that's what pride does for us. With autonomy, it makes promises that, hey, wow, it's about you. So the higher that you climb, that that means that the more that you get on the top rung of your own ladder, the more you seek your own success, the more that you try and build up your own platform at work, the more that you try and do everything for you, then the implication is this, that everybody beneath you exists to serve you. That everybody underneath you exists to puff you up and to build up, build up your platform. Another way that this happens is with possessions. And not just having things, it's when those, ha- when those things have you. When you just have to have more and more and more, and you're not content with what you have. And the idea is that you, in what happens in our experience is the more things that I have, the more powerful I'll become, the higher I go in my ladder of autonomy. And another one is just this it's a position. And this comes even in our culture with with whatever family line you came from. This happens if you're given a sphere of influence at work. This happens, honestly, to every person who's been given any amount of responsibility or authority spiritually over someone else, which would include moms, dads, friends, brothers, sisters, grandparents, all of us. We all have this lure of autonomy, and autonomy writes checks that it cannot cash. Autonomy promises that we, but we build ourselves up, we go up on the ladder of our own success, that we would be something that we're not. And the danger is this. The higher you go on your personal ladder, the less people to speak truth into your life, the less people you allow to speak truth into your life, and then you start using people to actually support you instead of building others up. What I love about the storyline of Joshua is he didn't just seek his own success. He, 
He followed in the footsteps of Moses. He served well under Moses. Even when Moses wasn't doing things that maybe he thought was right, he never did any backbiting against Moses. He never challenged Moses' authority. He honored God. And in honoring God, he submitted himself to Moses' authority. A person who's going to be living the abundant life cannot take the bait that autonomy truly is. If we want to be the people who have an uncommon faith, an uncommon strength, an uncommon courage, that, that people would want to follow us, that our kids would want to listen to us, amen to that, anyone? Like, kids want to listen to us, that's leadership. And then that when our days run out and we're no longer on earth, that people would look upon us and they would say things about our life to say, wow, you know what? They existed to support other people and not to have other people support them. That's a Joshua. Joshua 1 is where we're going to be starting in verse 1. The bottom line, the big idea for today is this. God's presence gives us the platform. God's presence gives us the platform for living out God's promise. God's presence, it's dwelling in the presence of the Lord. It's never, never being satisfied, always longing to know more about God, be in the presence of God no matter what. God's presence gives us the platform for living out God's promise prior to the, this writing that Joshua wrote. Prior to this, some other significant things happened. I'll catch you up briefly. Earlier in the Bible, in, in Exodus, there's a, the storyline of the people of Israel. And they had been in, in captivity and slavery for 400 years. And they were disobeying God, and God allowed them to be in captivity. And in the midst of this, God rose up a leader who, who was a reluctant leader by the name of Moses, and he had a sweet stutter. He did. And he, he was a reluctant leader, but he was a leader no less. So this is the storyline of Exodus and kind of how they're coming out of these 400 years of struggle. Leviticus is the next book in the Bible, and it gives just really what a picture of, of, of what holiness looks like in the Old Testament, what worship should be like from the Old Testament's point of view. There's this amazing story in Numbers 13 and 14, and this, this happens with Joshua and another, and another guy by the name of Caleb. And the storyline goes, and this is very pertinent to where we are today in this text, um, Joshua, Caleb, and 10 other spies were sent out to go spy out this promised land, the same land that they're going to start capturing. You're going to see this in a couple weeks. So they were, they were sent out to spy this land. And 10 of the spies came back in disbelief that God was not big enough to take care of the enemies that were in that land. But there were two who believed God, Joshua and Caleb. And they believed God even when everybody else was falling away, and they believed God was big enough, strong enough, powerful enough, and that God was faithful enough to bring the promise to fruition. The problem is the other 10 spies and all the other people had disbelief, so they had to wait 40 more years. So 400 and now 40 more, and they're waiting 
to receive the promise or to possess the promise. Then you see, jumping ahead in Deuteronomy, it's kind of the, the bookend of the, what they call the law, the Old Testament law. Genesis through Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is kind of like a, it's a picture of all the other books kind of put together. And Deuteronomy, right at the end of that, it talks about when Moses died and how Joshua was, he was the leader that God had called up while Moses was alive. And he, he was called up from the minor leagues, so to speak. And Joshua would then come on the stage. So now we go to our text in Joshua 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Look at this. Would that not be amazing if that was what people said about you? Like after you're not on earth anymore, that the people would say, wow, after the death of you, that that person was a servant of the Lord. Meant no matter what, they were willing to do what it took. They just served other people. They weren't trying to be autonomous and live autonomous lives, climbing their own ladder. They existed to support other people as a servant of the Lord, to build others up. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid like a secretary, but with a sword. It's a pretty sweet picture. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. The promise is, is still It's still happening. It's still happening. They're about to possess this promise. Your territory will extend from the the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. This This is the best part of this whole passage as far as I'm concerned. He says, as I was with Moses... And he and Joshua knew that he was with Moses. He says, as I was as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he says some, I think, just some of the most beautiful words in all the scriptures. He says, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, Joshua. I'm faithful to my promise. And he says to you and I, he's faithful to his promises. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong, verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. So the reason why he was able to be strong is because he was living, dwelling in the presence of God. The God says, I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. That means you, child of God, please pay attention. That means it doesn't matter where you are right now or where you feel like you, the burdens that you're carrying emotionally or even where you are spiritually. If you're a child of God, God gives this promise. You're going to see this again. He gives this promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to say enough of you. I've, just, I've had enough. You're, you're all done. You're all washed up. You just go sit on the bench. I'll call you when I need you. No, he's faithful to his promise, but we must dwell in the presence of our God. If we too 
or to be strong and courageous. Joshua is kind of a bridge book. You're going to see this in the weeks to come. It's kind of a bridge book, as Francis Schaeffer said. It's a bridge between of, of actually having the promise of the land, the promise of the land, to the possession of the land. So, so we find ourselves really in the midst of this story because if we're really honest, many of us, we, we would say, you know what, I just, I, I, I'm a Christian, I've given my life to Christ, and yet I feel like there's this, this other part of abundant life that I'm not living out yet. Like I, I'm missing something. And perhaps you are. I want to back up just for a moment right into verse 1. And I, I, love, when, I love when the Bible makes historical sense. And this, the history line of this can be backed up. The history line from the Exodus from Egypt that I mentioned earlier was 1446 B.C. This is the early dating of it. There are some, some scholarly debates on when this was, but uh, this is the general consensus. So 1446 was the Exodus from Egypt. In 1406 is when the conquest began. This would be around the same time frame that's talked about in verse one, and then you're going to see at the end of this series, um, when Joshua dies, that happens in about the year 1376. And, and what is amazing about this is this can even be verified with history books outside of the Bible. So I love when the Bible does that. It's like you, there's no question mark. And many people even, uh, like I said, across um, different faith groups, they also believe um, that Moses existed and that he was the leader of the Israelites. That makes sense. Let me tell you some things uh, very quickly about Joshua, the man Joshua. Joshua himself, his, his original name was Hoshea. It meant salvation. Moses changed his name to Joshua. And when he changed his name, he, then as the name goes in the Old Testament, this is uh, your name really meant something. Joshua means the Lord is salvation. So not just the idea of salvation, Joshua's name, and you see on the screen right now, Joshua in, in the, the Hebrew is rendered Jesus in the Greek Old Testament. So when you hear the name Joshua, it's like hearing the name Jesus. When Joshua was leading the, the people to possess the land, it's just in the back of your mind and in your heart, just know that it is Jesus leading you to abundant life. Such an amazing thing. Joshua was, and I've already kind of given you a little bit about him, but I, I think one of the biggest ideas, maybe concepts, the things that you kind of see throughout all of, of what we know about Joshua is that his spiritual leadership, that all spiritual leadership ultimately, is stewarding spiritual authority, not personal autonomy. I'll say it again. Spiritual leadership is stewarding spiritual authority, not personal autonomy. So when God gives you a sphere of influence or leadership in whatever capacity, and we're all called to lead in some way, form, or fashion, we may not all be leaders, but we're all called to lead. Amen? And that's what we're supposed to do, that when God imparts that to us, that spiritual leadership, with it comes spiritual authority, not for the boasting of ourselves, so we can climb our own ladder to personal autonomy, autonomy, but he does it for his namesake and for his glory alone. The Israelites were people of a promise, and Joshua was simply leading them there. Joshua was a great man of faith. He was also a great servant, a great military leader. 
Very uncommon military tactics you're going to see in the next coming weeks. He takes God at his word. He waits on the Lord. Man, I need some of that. He just waits on the Lord. For those maybe who grow impatient. It says in Numbers 32, 12, that he follows the Lord wholeheartedly. That he follows the Lord wholeheartedly. And that he's led by the Spirit of God, not the fear of man. Such an incredible thing. But I have to tell you, with the reason why there's, there's success in them possessing the promised land throughout Joshua, it's not because of Joshua. It's not because he was just a great man of faith. It's not just because the people were just a chosen people. It's because they believed something about God that others did not. They believed God was big enough, strong enough, and he imparted that strength and that courage so those people or us could change, be a part of changing other people's lives. But we can't do it when we prop ourselves up. We have to do it when we, we decide. We decide ahead of time that we're going to prop others up. In verses 2 through 4, it makes mention of the land. And um, there's, there's a danger that's right there in verse 3. And I hear this in, in kind of church circles, and maybe you have too, uh, this, this idea of name it and claim it theology. It's like, if you name it, I'll claim it. Like you go through, like if that were the case, I would literally run through the parking lot right now and touch all of your cars so you'd be walking home. Like I name it and claim it like I want it in Jesus' name. That's what, that's what a preacher does. Right after they say that, they always say in Jesus' name, like some, I don't know, in a weird way, right? That's absolute rubbish. And that's not what's happening here. That's not. Just because they were stepping foot on it, it's not some name it and claim it theology. The reason why they were able to to claim and possess the promised land is because God had promised them that years and years and years before. In Genesis 12, verse 7, it tells us, and this was to Abraham, and Abraham would never step foot on the promised land. But this is a promise that was given to the people. It says, to your offspring... I will give this land. It's the same land. I, I want to show you a picture of what the land looks like today and compared to then. Uh, on the left-hand side, of course, it says then. On the right-hand side, it says now. Um, and I don't know how you want to kind of make sense of this. Um, earlier, I went about it a different way, but I'm going to kind of switch it up. If you look where it says now, there's you probably can't hardly see it. Maybe we'll show this later. On the bottom left is, is current-day Egypt. Bottom right is Saudi Arabia. Top right is Syria. Top left is the Mediterranean Sea. Well, and about right smack dab uh, in the middle, uh, the, the middle, middle right is the land of Israel. And that's what it looks like current day. Now, if you go to the left, you actually see what it looked like then. And it's actually color-coded. It's really difficult to see, I know, and I apologize. On all, it's color-coded to uh, what people group would actually seize what part of the land. You're going to see this um, being more and more important as the weeks go on. But I wanted to show you this picture so you understand that this land really exists. This wasn't just some fictitious thing that's just in some ancient writing from thousands of years ago and like, okay, I guess I believe it. It's, it's there. I don't know. Like, this really existed. There are still artifacts 
from, this, from these days that you see in the book of Joshua. So if you're a skeptic, put that in there when you're considering the faith. I want to tell you, Joshua, great leader. Their success is not built on Joshua. Israelites, great people. But their success is not just because of the Israelites. It's because of the God that they serve. They believed that God was faithful to his promise. He was faithful. I want to give you some of the attributes. I'm going to give these uh, rather quickly. Some of the attributes, some of the things that they believed about Joshua. But these are promises that, that we are to be, if you're a follower of Jesus, these are promises that we are still clinging to today. And I'll give you the reference points from the New Testament. How the Old Testament and New Testament makes sense is incredible. God still gives victory over our enemies. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. There's a promise. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It says in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Another thing is this, that God is still all-powerful. The same thing that Joshua was was believing about God is the same thing that we can believe about God today. He is still all-powerful. Jesus said this, All authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. All the power. There is no one higher. Another one is this, that God is still ever present. He is still ever present. He's not checking out on you. He's not walking away from America. He's not checking out on your family. He hasn't turned his back on you. That's not what God does. If anyone has turned their back, rest assured, it's not him. This verse probably looks familiar. We just read it in Joshua 1, Hebrews 13, 6. Never will I leave you nor will I forsake you. God reiterated that promise. He says, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. Child of God, receive that. Receive that today. God is still faithful. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verse 20, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He is faithful. And that God still gives absolute victory. Absolute victory. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. Verse 37 of Ephesians, or excuse me, of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but thank God, but thank God that He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. What is your conquest? What is your, what, what is your, your promise to claim? What, what kind of person are you trying to become? What's the path that you're trying to pursue? What is it for you? I'll ask a question a different way. Maybe this is a question that you can ask yourself. Maybe you want to write this down. Maybe that's something you just need to ponder this week. Is this the life that Jesus promised me? Like in my current reality, is this the life that Jesus promised me? Is it? Is, am I just 
Have I just captured part of the promise? Or, or am I living in all of it? You know what's amazing? In this text, the promised land represents 300,000 square miles. 300,000. Do you know how many square miles they actually possessed? 30,000 square miles. So the promise was, was huge, 300,000 square miles, but yet the only thing they possessed in this time was 30,000 square miles. You can see it for yourself, but it's because they stopped believing that God was big enough. They fell short of God's promise. Not that God's promise fell short, understand. They fell short on receiving God's promise. Is the life that you're currently living the life that Jesus promised you? And the last one is this. Is autonomy getting the best of me? I'll tell you a story, and then I'll bring it back to this. When I was staining this backdrop, I stained it in my carport. It was ridiculous. There was wood everywhere. It looked like a redwood forest. I mean, it was everywhere. And as I was staining all of the wood in the carport and taking over over time, I, I specifically was on, uh, on one side of my carport, and as I'm staining a, a piece of wood, the can of stain is on the other side, on, the, on a board, on the other side of the sawhorses. So as, as I'm staining and kind of doing my thing, I look out and I see this can doing the shimmy. Like just just enough to catch my eye, like something's about to happen. So I kind of, you know, I kind of kept my eye on it, and I kept doing this. Well, the next thing I know, I see this thing lift off, and it's beautiful. I mean, it, that can lifts up off the wood, off the sawhorses. It goes up in the air, and it does like a swan dive completely upside down and just sticks the landing. I mean, it was a 10. It was amazing. And it sticks the landing upside down as I just go out and I'm looking at the stain just bubble out of this can before I can get there to clean it up. And I started to realize, wow, I probably never should have had the stain on the end of that board because I created that problem. I should have probably never been staining from the actual can because my dad always told me not to do that. You always do it from something else, but disregard that because, you know, it's from my dad and you can pick and choose what you want to believe and do, Right? So all these things are going through my head, but yet in that moment, as the mess is already there and it's all over the floor, and you know this if you've dropped any paint, as soon as it falls and like it has a little puddle and then you go to clean it, but you're so careful. But in the course of cleaning it, now your puddle, it starts to grow. And then as you clean that little puddle, then it starts to grow. And then all of a sudden it looks like, you know, a a Grateful Dead t-shirt and it's like everywhere all over the floor or whatever it is that you have splattered Everywhere, you see, autonomy promises that you can clean up your own mess. Autonomy says you can do this. As long as you prop yourself up, pride, as, as long as you have enough things to lift yourself up, possessions, as long as you have enough people supporting you underneath your position, as long as you have all of these things, you're going to be okay and you can clean up your own mess. Shocker, you can't clean up your own mess. You can't. Autonomy writes checks that it cannot cash. The great news is this. 
Say, you make a mess of things. God is faithful to his promises. And even though you make a mess of things, and even though you've done something wrong, and even though maybe you've tried, and, and, and in the course of cleaning up your mess, the mess just got a little bigger, God can still restore what's broken. He can. God can come in and clean up that mess, but I believe one of the greatest gifts that he gives us is this thing called regret. Because he gives us this thing of regret that, that you go in and maybe you've cleaned that mess up and God, maybe he restores that perfectly, but he gives you this reminder on the back of your mind and that reminder is regret that if I go the independent way, the autonomous way, it is going to make a mess. So maybe I just need to live my life in such a way to where I lift other people up, like Joshua, instead of having other people lift me up. And if you do that, if we make that our reality, it not only changes your life, it changes the way you view life. Then all of a sudden, people don't exist to serve you. People exist for you to serve them. All of a sudden, the very things that you want from your husband or wife or your kids, all of a sudden they start to happen because they are starting to experience something about you that is totally different, that you actually just want the better of them, so they're going to want the better of you. And I'll tell you where this leads. This leads to a person of uncommon faith. It does. It it leads to a person of uncommon courage. It leads to a person of uncommon strength because they're not trying to lift themselves up. They're content with lifting other people up. This also leads to people just following you, not because because you're the best person on earth, not because you're the the person with all the answers, not because your name is on that door and they have to follow you. They start to follow you and start to listen to you. They're drawn to you like a magnet. Do you know why? Because you exist. You've decided ahead of time that you exist to lift them up instead of lifting yourself up. And then when people are saying their final words over your life, they sit back and they have nothing but great things to say that you or I were servants of the Lord. And because we were servants of the Lord, it rubbed off on everyone around us. That is what changes a community. That is what changes a city. That's what changes a home. That is what changes a country. When people exist to serve one another and not be content with serving themselves. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father God, I I don't know of the people who are hearing this message right now. I don't know if they even have a relationship with you. Maybe they walked out on you years ago. 
Father, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself, that even in this moment, that they would not leave until they make a decision to follow you. Just finally, that they would just turn over the keys of their life and say, I'm not here to serve me anymore. I want to serve you, Jesus. I thank you for what you did on the cross for my sin. I thank you for taking away my sin and shame. I just want to live my life to your glory. Father, for the man or woman, young man, young lady in here today, maybe they came in with a limp. My prayer is that they would leave and they would they would found hope. And not just hope in my words, not just hope in a presentation, but hope in the gospel. Because the gospel changes everything. Amen. Have a great day.